All right, everyone, welcome back to the We Shall Not Sleep podcast. Thank you so much for joining us this week. I've been teasing this for a long time. We finally have some guests back with us, returning guests at, with that, and that being both pastors Adam Deckard and James Haldane, great friends of mine. I'll let them reintroduce themselves, but I just want to let everyone know listening, yes, that this is finally getting back to our long-form interview days, talking about just like topics that I really am passionate about, things that I would love to see discussed more in the church. And these two gentlemen, since they have been longtime friends and mentors to me, I I don't I don't want to reintroduce guests without having these guys go first, to be honest with you, because of their familiarity with the show, but their thoughtfulness. Uh, they they are too, they come to uh, they come to topics totally different from one another, uh, but they're very thoughtful at how they approach it. So any answers they give to the questions that uh, that we talk about tonight, they've been thought about. They're, they're not something that's off the whim. Of course, we might we might have some questions in here, discussion topics that uh, we didn't plan, but I, I just I want to let you know as a listener that I I'm so incredibly excited to have them because of I, I know how much that they treat their own congregants and how much uh, care and affection they have for their own family. So there is credibility beyond just the words you'll hear tonight. So just want to say that. So gentlemen, welcome in. Pastor James, I'll let you uh, go first and having you reintroduce yourself to the, to the pod. All right. Uh, well, hey, thanks, Michael. And thanks for all the kind words. I always feel like um, you are kinder than I deserve. Um, but with that being said, I appreciate it. Um, so, uh, I have been a pastor for, um, 11 years, I think now, uh, I was executive pastor at Jackson as church in Jackson, Michigan, um, which is a church of, uh, well, I don't know what they're running now, but around a thousand when I left. Um, and I, sounds about right. Yeah. Yep. In, um, in July, uh, just a few months ago, as of the the time of this recording, uh, about six months ago, I guess, uh, my my wife and daughter and I moved to Eden Rapids, which is only about twenty minutes down the road, twenty five minutes down the road, uh, and I took over as the pastor at Eaton Rapids Church of the Nazarene. So uh, Jackson Naz is a is a Nazarene church as well, same denomination, uh, which is a church of about uh, fifty five uh, right now. So. Um, a little bit different. People asked when we announced that we were leaving, they were like, so are you going to be the lead pastor? And I was like, well, I'm the only pastor uh, in a church of 55. <laughs> there's there's yeah. not a lead pastor. So um, yeah. So I, and that's before that, I was a teacher for 10 years before I moved into ministry. And um, I, I love leadership. I'm, I'm, a leadership nerd. That's what, that's the reading I do in my spare time. It's those are the podcasts I listen to uh, primarily church leadership, occasionally a little bit broader than that. But, um, and then uh, I just love the church. I'm really passionate about the capital C church and most of our conversations, Michael, over the last decade and a half or so uh, have circled around the church. Uh, the, yeah. the body of Christ, the bride of Christ is, is, maybe the image of the church that I'm the most passionate about. Um, and so anyway, yeah, that drives, that drives a lot of, of what we do. Um, I personally, so my wife and I've been married 21 years and we have a son who just got married this summer. Um, and so now we have a daughter-in-law that's Elijah and Allie and our daughter Mackenzie's a sophomore in high school. Um, and so I'm doing all of those things to figuring out how to be a father-in-law and have a kid who's married 
and um, a high school daughter. Um, <laughs> yeah, which, which is crazy because I've known your kids forever, yeah. and it's like the, yeah. the time flying by is so great. And by the way, I just say for Adam that. I, I'm not going to say exactly what I said. It's inappropriate for the podcast. It's, I wasn't it wasn't too vulgar, but when he became a pastor, I said it's about time. I didn't I didn't it, because it's it's something that we've been praying for for a long time. I knew that whatever church he would shepherd, his people would be um, so so well taken care of. And with a church of 55, you dwarf mine. And heck, that's a mega church compared to, to mine. So <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but thank you and welcome back to the podcast, uh, Pastor. Thanks. Yes, Pastor Adam Deckard. I just. Um, a longtime friend, someone who's been on here before, uh, twice actually, as a guest with Annette Riddenauer. Um, shout out to her podcast and uh, Just a Thought is what it's named. And then you were here for D Group. But Adam, if you could just kind of reintroduce yourself uh, because you are no longer in the same place you were the last time you were on this podcast. You are right. Also, I was uh, I, I was actually on for another one. I did one on youth ministry. I was actually just re-listening to that one recently and and just trying to think of like, Man, like so much has happened since then. Anyway, um, mm. but um, we are currently in St. Louis, Missouri, uh, pastoring at uh, Webster Groves Church of the Nazarene, or not pa- senior pastor, youth pastor. I'm the youth and youth and outreach pastor there, and uh, we've been here for about a year and a half, cl- closing in on a, on a year and a half of September of 2022. Yeah, September of 2022 when we got here. Um, since being on the podcast, I think, uh, we've had two kids, which is Mm -hmm. awesome. Uh, Silas was born, um, let's see, March of 20, uh, March of 22. Uh, and then, uh, Junia, uh, Junia Marie was just born December 6th, um, of 23. So she is, um, quickly approaching two months. Um, about a month and a half. Well, well, not quite. Anyway, and um, life has been absolutely insane. Uh, James, you're adjusting to being a, a, a you know, um, a father-in-law and, and, a, and a father of a, uh, a daughter in, in high school. I'm just, I'm just trying to figure out what it means to be a dad, period. And uh, uh, having littles in the home is just such a sanctifying and trying experience um and i'm there there it's incredible to me how how rapidly i switch back and forth between like man i'm doing i'm doing an okay job and like i'm the i'm a horrible father that won't stop i gotta bring it to you man that's not gonna stop (laughs) oh man i mean and that's that's humbling in and of itself that nothing nothing has driven me to my knees more than being being a father um just in in and trying to balance ministry and and caring for family and and being there for my wife who also works at the church as uh she does all the music and stuff um but we're we're loving where we're at we're loving the context that we're in we we think that we've not to say that we didn't have this before but you know you, you just get in you certain things in certain seasons hit harder or or you I feel like I'm with a group of people that's genuinely trying their best to be Jesus in the world. Um, and I have the opportunity to kind of participate in some, some ministries that I wasn't before some outreach ministries. We have a food pantry and a clothing closet. And I obviously do all the youth stuff, uh, which has been really, really cool. Uh, we've had, um, you know, I just, just to get a little picture. I, I, I walked away from a board meeting 
recently. Uh, and I'm, I'm kind of weird. I love board meetings. I love kind of like the, the, the big picture, like where are we at 10,000 feet? Are we doing okay? Are we not doing okay? What's going on in the lives of our ministries? And just walking away from a board meeting really, really encouraged um, is, is a cool thing. Just kind of hearing about, you know, ministry is such a, a culmination of a thousand micro moments and micro interactions that, that culminate in um, just the, the, you know, it's, it's the slow growing of a seed, right? It's the growing of the kingdom. It's, uh, it's the, um, and sometimes you can't see it unless you back up a little bit and, and take a look at it anyway, but we're, um, we're, we're doing really well and we're excited about where we're at and, you know, it's life is hard, but it's good. So that's where we're at right now. I, I, um, it's interesting when you're talking about from the, from the last time you were here and on, it doesn't feel like that for me because I've had a snapshot into your life this entire time. So it just seems like, oh yeah, that's just what's happened. But when you go from like a time period of like two years, um, that's yeah, a lot certainly can happen. And I hope for those listening, for the tens of listeners, uh, that you've gotten a heart for what these guys are just based on whether this is the first time hearing them or not. Um, I know you can find them in the feed by just um, searching their names and you can find the other podcasts I've had them on. Um, I, I wanted to put this together. I've been wanting to get back to, to guests and a lot of this came out of a culmination of one of our D groups that we had. Just again, for those of you who don't know, we just weekly Adam and some other friends from college. Uh, we talk every week. It's just an accountability groups, discipleship. That's what the D stands for there. And, out of a conversation that that we were having, Adam called me and we chatted. I felt bad. I, I shut my door at work. We chatted for over an hour. And luckily I was able to, to multitask. But for correct me where I'm wrong, Adam, because this came out of like the first question I wanted to ask you guys. Very, very specific. It, it, we were talking just about, you know, ecclesiology life. And Adam was sharing with me from 1 Corinthians 5. It's very short. I'll read it for us. I read from the NASB 1995. For those of you who want to follow along, that's a what's considered a transliteration of, of Scripture, so it doesn't read as clean for those of you who don't know, but what it does is it tries to get you to the closest meaning of the original language, which would have been Koine Greek at the time. And so this is something that Adam was, was sharing with me, and I'll, I'll mention this at the end, but it says, starting at verse 1, it is actually reported that there is immorality among you and, and immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. And what they mean is that he, is, um, he has sexual relations with her. Verse 2 says, you have become arrogant and have not mourned. Instead, that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. For I, on my part, though absent in body but present in spirit, have already judged him who has, has so committed this as though I were present. In the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled, and I, with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that in his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus." Your boasting is not good. Do you know that a little leaven, uh, little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ our Passover also has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world, or with the covetous and swindlers, or with idolatry, idolaters. 
for then you would have to go out of the world. <laughs> but actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what? For, uh, then this is a huge point of, of judgment, um, like, or, or excuse me, a huge point of contention when it comes to judgment. Verse 12 says, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside, God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. And essentially, as a Spartanotes version of this, you know, Paul is like looking at this guy who's committing this terrible act that's not even tolerated amongst the pagans of the world. And he's saying, I've judged this guy because I'm with you in spirit under the name of Jesus. Get rid of this guy. If he's unrepentant, you got to get rid of him and hand hand basically hand him over to Satan. It's like, let him experience the consequences of his actions so that his soul can be repented. Do not spare him this. Do not indulge him in uh, any of this. Uh, do not um, act with, make him act toward, with contrition towards Jesus. And the biggest point we get to is that he's saying, who am I to judge outside of the outside of the church, essentially? He says, I'm asking you not to be around those people who call themselves Christians, but don't follow the practices. Don't be around them because he's saying like, you'd have to, you'd have to die in order to be away from all the evil in the world. And that comes back to the idea of evangelism. And who do we hold to account? The world's going to do the world's thing. But if who we represent in Christ's body, that is the church, that is of utmost importance. So we have an absolute moral imperative to judge each other based on our actions inside the church, but outside, no, that's, that's to God. So I always find it funny, gentlemen, when people say, well, only God can judge me. Like, well, yeah, um, and he's going to. I, I, I hope you can take that seriously. That's going to be a problem. But, but I, as a Christian, if you call yourself a brother, um, you're going to be in violation of you know taking the the Lord's name with you. Uh, you better be prepared to be held accountable for it. And I, so that's a foundation, just a little sermon for all the people who are listening. But what was so funny about Adam and I's interaction that day, James, is that he read that to me at the very, very end. He says, but those are outside God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. And I don't know what, what you, I don't know if you remember what you said, Adam, but I'll let you expand upon this. You said, it's almost as if Paul means it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I was, I mean, Paul is, is known for writing with fervor about things that he's passionate about, of course, but like, I don't know, I, like, Paul takes this very, very seriously, and yet yeah. I don't see us taking it as seriously now you could we could we could talk about and maybe we will talk about like well what does it mean to take it seriously what does that look like to take it seriously but i just like paul is concerned with i was going to say purity i don't i don't like the word purity just with some of the baggage that it holds but like i i like the word holiness i sure, i yeah, think exactly. i think paul is concerned with the holiness of the church and the integrity of the church. And he's saying like, we, we have the authority and the right and the responsibility to hold each other to account for the sake of the integrity and holiness of the church, because a little bit of, a, a, a little bit of yeast, it ruins the whole batch, right? You know, you see the, the, the smallest groups that make the, the most amount of noise or the smallest, small, I don't know. I don't want to put it that way, but like, I'm thinking more now of like 
the the church in our country, right, or the small sects of of people in church in our country that are um, can be an issue and all these different things. Anyway, um, but yeah, I don't know. I I just the, the question came to me like, man, like he is really serious about this, and yet like I don't see I don't see this in our practice, like. Yes, we have models of church discipline, I guess, but like we don't. Um, yeah, how how are how can we how can we do that? How how can we take this more? Ser- what would it look like for us to take this yeah. more seriously? Yeah, I mean, I I completely un- I agree with you. I, I think essentially this comes to a, a um, you're basically warning. It, it's an it's a warning against hypocrisy. It's a it's a it's an. A, uh, calling towards accountability. Uh, we, we were going through the Ten Commandments in my church, and you know, when it says you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, uh, we 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 mean that to say historically, like, oh my God, look at that, look at the Lions are going to the NFC Championship games. Like the, the people say, hey, you're taking God's name in vain. Like, no, I'm not. First off, God isn't God's name. Okay, first off, uh, but what it means is is really don't carry, don't take the Lord's name in vain with you. Don't say, Hey, I'm a Christian, but then do all these other things. An easy target would be the Catholic church, not holding their priests accountable in the early two thousands, but reassigning them, relocating them instead of actually taking um, discipline. Um, so something like this, we are talking about accountability. We're talking about, uh, a warning against hypocrisy because we know how badly, you know, we know how bad it, 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 it means when people are tarnished or to tarnish the reputation of God, because we know this to be true. It can take a long time to build something, but it's very quick. It can be destroyed very quickly. Um, and that comes with a reputation. Uh, Pastor James, when, when you, when you're seeing this, you know, it's funny, but Adam and I are laughing at this and we're, we're seeing, you know, just the, the, the folly sometimes of, I think our own church in, in you know, capital C, if you're concerned about capital C or taught, we taught, this is basically all under the um, umbrella of ecclesiology. How do we practice the things uh, that are, that are, uh, that are our theology. And since we're, we're all Wesleyan Arminian focused, you know, um, sacredness set apart. What, what is your reaction? Not just to, to Paul and his message here towards the latter half, but but about what Adam and I are talking about, like, do you, are we falling short in this area? Are we, are we, are we supposed to take Paul literally here? Or is he, you know, if someone's unrepentant and being sinful, we, we need to get them out of the church for this, for the reputation of holiness. Uh, yeah. So, you know, there's an old saying, I, I think I heard it first in seminary um, and it really confused me, um, but it, but it comes to mind now. And so hopefully I can present it in a way that's not confusing to listeners. Um, any text without context can be used as a pretext. And so um, we have to remember when we read the Bible to take it in context. So that passage begins with Paul saying, uh, so I've actually heard that there is such vile sin among you that this one dude is sleeping with his mother-in-law, his stepmom, not mother-in-law, stepmom. Like what, what? And then he goes on to like really dig in about why that's not okay. Um, Now I'm not trying to say that we don't need to listen to Paul and apply it to our context today because he's only calling out this one individual person who lived 2000 years ago on the other side of the planet, right? Like that, that would be to deny that the word of God is alive and active. Um, But what I am saying is he's writing in that context. So we have to ask ourselves is what can we extrapolate from that context 
and and how can we learn from that to apply it to the to the context that we face today uh, in our own churches? Um, the uh, the scripture that came to mind just as you guys were talking, um, and I just I just preached from Romans five to eight, uh, like excerpts from from that uh, large uh, paracopy. Per- yeah. Am I saying that right? I don't remember. I don't use seminary language very often anymore. Pericope? I don't know. Whatever. Passage of scripture. Um, I'm making myself sound dumber by the second. <laughs> um, so from that passage of scripture, um, there there was um, one thing in particular that really hit me. And I think it's, you know, you can read the same passage of scripture. I've read Romans a bunch of times, and this has oh, never yeah. popped out like it did this time. So chapter six, um, starting at verse 20, and and just for continuity, I'm going to read from the NASB as well. So we have similar language as we're looking at these different passages. For when you were slaves to sin, you were free in relation to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death, but now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification, and the outcome, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gracious gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, the part of that 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 really popped out at me when I preached through it was, uh, for when you were slaves to sin, you were free in relation to righteousness. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. Like we have a really good habit of looking at the unrighteousness of this world, the sin of this world, and trying to hold it to our standard uh, as as Bible-believing Christians, as people who are trying to become more like Jesus, like seeking the Lord's sanctifying work in our lives through and through. And isn't that what everybody in the world, whether they believe the Bible or believe in Jesus or are following, trying to follow him or not, like, isn't that what everybody should do? So I'm, I'm going to judge everybody according to my standards, whether or not they live by it. And that's not what Paul's saying at all. He's like, until you know righteousness, until you have submitted your life to pursuing righteousness, like you're you're not a slave to that. But once you are, you are. And so I come going back to the passage that that sparked this conversation with this dude sleeping with a stepmom. Um, he is a member of the church. And so he is, as a member of the church, enslaved to righteousness. And therefore, the wages of his sin that he's engaging in is death. And he is, he is, um, and this is where this image of the bride of Christ really like, like comes up in me. He's defiling the bride. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Slinging mud staining, at yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's staining her what's supposed to be unblemished dress you know like he he's pulling her hair out he's he's smacking her across the face like in and and he said i don't remember exactly what the word is and i don't i don't want to go searching for it and make this uh clumsier conversation that i'm already making it probably but like um he's like do, do you not see this like you're not addressing this you're yeah. not dealing with this and and that's the issue right so we had um we had a situation at at Jackson as when I was executive pastor early in my in my tenure within my first few years um uh there was a woman who made accusations against a man of inappropriate sexual behavior and um we 
listened to what she said. Um, and we scheduled a meeting to sit down and have a conversation with him about it. And before that meeting happened, another woman stepped forward and made similar accusations. So then it was like this, okay, like this, there's no, there's none of this, like, you knew what's happening and you didn't do anything about it. No, that wasn't, that wasn't what was happening. So we, we tried to get, um, the accused and the accusers in the same room at the same time with pastors as mediators and it they wouldn't do it. None of them would do it. They wouldn't get in the same room at the same time. Now, for the women, I can understand, um, assuming that their accusations were true. I can understand why they might not want to be in the same room at the same time as this man. And so the lead pastor and I met with him and said, this is what is ha we have been told. Uh, every story has two sides. We want to hear your side of it. And he just, he wouldn't, he wouldn't have it. He got really mad at us. He, he, I don't remember if he literally swore at us um, or if it just felt like we were getting cussed out, you know, but, but he, he erupted and he left and he didn't come to the church for a while. Um, and uh, he was on a, he was involved in ministry and in a pretty public way. And so we told him he had to step down from that role until this was all resolved. And uh, he refused to get in the same room at the same time uh, as, as these women as well. And so we ended up in an impasse and we weren't able to resolve the issue. Um, now, when we, when we took his side of the story back to the initial accuser, um, she refused to even have a phone meeting with us or come in and talk to us in person without him present. And so there was something weird in that whole story where like, it felt like, um, we weren't getting the full truth, maybe from either side. And, um, and we didn't really know what to do with that. Well, in the middle of all of that, um, the, the wages of sin is death, right? There was, there were consensual, um, sexual, uh, relations between at least the first accuser and, and the man. Um, and the second one was more like, um, words it wasn't actions but like inappropriate words um anyway uh and because she was caught in that sin she didn't want to sit down with pastors and talk about it that's what it felt like anyway um and so their inability to resolve the situation wound up in um inability or unwillingness to um confront the situation or or follow the confrontation through to a resolution resulted in her finding another church to worship at um, and him coming back after about six months and just sliding in and sliding out. And the best that I could do uh, was to continue to pour into the relationship that I had with him, to check in with him on a regular basis, to, to ask how I could keep praying with him, to continue to extend the invitation to an ongoing conversation regarding the issue, expressing a desire to get to the bottom of it and resolve it. And he just never bit. He never bit. Yeah. So unfortunately, what happened yeah. was we had a woman who who didn't allow us to find full resolution of her issue um, because she wouldn't engage with us in the process. We had a man who was accused um, who didn't allow us to find full resolution through confrontation of the issue. And then the third party that was involved um, just never wanted to talk about it again. So another another case of, um, and she didn't she didn't engage in any inappropriate behavior from anything that I could tell. Um, but uh, we were left 
it was like a loss all the way around and not a loss because somebody left our church or because somebody stopped serving in ministry, but a loss in that um, being slaves to righteousness leads to eternal life. And that's what we wanted to lead all of these people to. Now, I'm not I'm not saying, well, now they're not going to be with Jesus forever because of this whole issue. Like, that's not that's above my pay grade. Um, but the point of that story is. Um, they were living as slaves to sin, and they were proclaiming to be slaves of righteousness. And when um, the the I don't know if you can use this expression on a podcast about church, but when the crap hit the fan, and we tried to um, resolve it in a way that was um, edifying and and glorifying God and true to Scripture and um, honoring of the bride of Christ, like they they wouldn't have it. Um, and I think too many pastors and too many churchmen and churchwomen avoid having the uncomfortable conversations because they're afraid of the loss, um, or they're just afraid of the discomfort and, and, or we don't know how to define the loss in the first place. What if they leave the church? What if they don't serve anymore? Like, forgive me, but so what? Like, that's not what matters. What matters is that we're discipling them into an honest, real relationship with Jesus Christ, where they can be completely vulnerable and open to their brothers and sisters who are trying to guide them in, in holy living. So um, I have a little bit of experience of confronting this kind of thing, and and, and it's just so hard. Yeah, it's, it's so hard. It's, it has to be. And, you know, fear stops so much of, of this very mm-hmm. thing. And appreciate you sharing that. Um, I'm very, very much aware of of that, the situation that James is talking about. You know, you know, and I think, Adam, I think really at the heart of it is, yes, it's very easy, I think, to look at this, you know, where my mind goes is like, look at these wicked people out here. We need to get them out of the church. Uh, no, I, I think Pat, what James is calling us to is that how, how are we good as pastors at mediating? things at saying, Hey, we, there's a responsibility here. In this case, the idea that you confront somebody, you do what Jesus said, you take one, you take two, you try to be peacemakers. You try to call people towards righteousness without shaming them. Oh my heavens. We can, t- we can do a whole podcast on the church and its failings with shaming people, but to say, I'm going to do everything in my power to try to go after this lost sheep because the lost sheep doesn't have to be lost because you know, they, they could have willingly gone away, not necessarily just they accidentally got, you know, were a victim of something. They could have, they could have said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to, I don't care about this anymore. Like we want to build a fight. And I don't know how good us pastors are at being shepherds and going after the, the, the one lost sheep. And I think, and yet I think here, if somebody turns around and spits in your face and says, I don't want to have it. And then it's like, well, yeah, there comes to a point where there's a boundaries like, okay, I've tried to go after the, the lost sheep. But I'm also the shepherd. I also have to protect the flock. And if you are going to willingly harm it, yeah, you're not welcome here. So there is that fine balance. But it, but that that I think that the act towards contrition of saying, hey, can we can we reconcile? Can we can we reach a compromise here? Not that some of these, not that there is a compromise. If there's in sinful behavior, there's no compromise. But trying to find a peaceful union, we have to do that first. And how how hard are these shepherds fighting for their people? Um, well, and I'll add yeah. not to interrupt, but yeah, I guess ahead. I'm going to do it anyway. Um, I'll add, um, we, Paul says, kick them out, right? Paul doesn't mince words. He doesn't talk about finding a compromise. And so navigating yeah. it, navigating that particular situation was tricky because there was an accusation made, but no proof. 
Exactly. Um, yeah. And, and 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 people who are slaves to sin are capable of making accusations that are completely false. And so we didn't know if we could, and you know, you can tell a tree by its fruit. Well, this tree had mixed fruit. So it was kind of hard to tell, um, can we trust the accusation or not? But at the same time, if it was true, we didn't want to discredit her. And so it was, it was so yeah. messy, you yeah. know? And and I think that's that's part of what makes this like, oh, man, I wish it was as easy as Paul is is oh, setting it up very to be. much so yeah and that's where c- context is super helpful because he's saying there's this one dude and you're not dealing with the issue it's pretty plain like i have even found out word has made it all the way to me what's happening and so seems to me that probably paul had substantial evidence to support the accusation um and so like encouragement to people as you see these issues and and god gives you the the courage and the strength to confront them um, you know, we like to say the messy middle is where, is where real ministry happens. The messy middle is where the gospel gets really beautiful. Um, but we try to yeah. avoid it. That's yeah. totally true, but, but we avoid it because it's scary. Um, oh, it's, it's yeah. incredibly scary. I think that to add to your point that, yeah, of course it was very evident because the following verse, he says, you guys aren't even in mourning about it. You're prideful about it. You're not even, you're not even moved to conviction. And so it's like, yeah, like, what are you, what are you talking about? What are you saying? Yeah, like yeah, of course that's happening. It's like, oh to be my prideful gosh. about it. Yeah. Like, hey, look at our look at our board secretary, <laughs> man. Like player. Like don't hate the player, hate the game. No, no. <laughs> anyway. Um, Adam, what, what do you think about this? I think uh, you know it, it does call uh, into question. Yes, there is nuance here, but what do you think about the aspect that we as pastors have to be willing? To go that extra mile, we have to be willing to get our hands dirty and actually fight for the the righteous and the unrighteous in our congregations. I mean, yeah, we. Um, I I feel like there's the first thing that popped into my head was like, you know, we have the the the, the ministry of reconciliation, right? I guess I don't like. Yeah, we we are called to we're called to be peacemakers and to, to bring a reconciliation. Um, especially, you know, if you have, um, uh, I don't know. I was just trying to think of, you know, you're trying to bring these parties together. Um, and oh, you're, 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 I mean, like James said, you're doing your due diligence to, to, um, kind of suss out the, like what's actually happening and to find evidence that you can act on and, and all of that. Um, um, Hmm. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I have too much more to add on that. Um, um, what was your question again? <laughs> no, it's okay. I just talking about like, what, what does it mean to, to, for us as pastors to, to fight for the righteous and the unrighteous? Like part of this accountability in what James brings up is like us being willing to fight for the soul of the person who might be committing a sin and yet at the same time, if they are not willing to change their behavior, especially behavior that's harming not just themselves but other people, then we are willing to be the shepherd and say, you are not welcome here. Get out um, because right. you right. are tarnishing. And, and essentially, because you are gonna, you're trying to identify as a brother or sister, I have every right to judge you based on your actions. That's the authority God's given me as a fellow brother and sister. But as soon as you exit the church, you're part of the world. You're no longer under my purview. Essentially, what Scripture is saying—that's God at that point. Yep, that's absolutely God. My goal, my relation to you now, has not changed from 
from shepherd to sheep, it is now shepherd to lost sheep, and now evangelism again. It, like mm. the relationship changes. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I think yeah, I think that's that's said well. Yeah, mm. uh, the uh, the scripture that it comes to me is from out of first Timothy five. Uh, it's concerning elders, which if you want to even talk about something else now, if you point and let's turn the mirror back on ourselves, gentlemen, first uh, Timothy five, starting at verse 17 says the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching for the scripture says you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder, except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Oh, now that's a little kind of, Ooh, baby. Um, those who continue in sin, rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest also will be fearful of sitting. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus and of his chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias. Do nothing in a spirit of partiality. Do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and there, thereby share responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. What? Oh my gosh. This kicks this kicks in the face of any hiring practice. They were like, well, you know, we just hired the guy. And it's like, well, how did that guy get through the screening process? You guys were, you were so quick to do so. Um, and then it says, you know, what would it say to all of these men, these women who have, who have been propped up in the Protestant church and have fallen from grace and taken so many people with them who have hurt so many people. And you have to ask yourself a couple of questions like one, how did that person, get to that that place doing this because they don't start they don't just get to that position and then start doing the thing they 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 there was proclivities before that i mean i could speak as somebody i've talked about my pornography issues as somebody who has been who was addicted to pornography in the past like the idea that i would get into a place of pastor and then suddenly be addicted to pornography like that's absolutely ridiculous so these guys who are committing adultery once you're given the power it reveals more of who you are and and so you rise up they fall and it's like could you imagine if you were like the guy going in after Bill Hybels? I, I, I just throw a name, a Ravi Zacharias or whoever that Instagram pastor was at uh, Hillsong Church. Like, um, you go in after them and you just saw the entire 20,000 member of their church rebuke him in front of everybody, saying, All right, so Carl Lentz, that's the guy's name. Um, so you've been caught in adultery. Uh, we're going to talk about that today in front of everybody because you were the charged pastor and we're all going to rebuke you in front of everybody. Like, I, I think that would be a, me I mean, what it's calling is a method of deterrence saying whoever steps into this role last, this is the accountability as the shepherd that you have. And here's your responsibility. You cannot mess up. And if you do guess what's going to happen. Um, and without, if, unless you're repentant. And then these guys weasel their way back into ministry somehow without really repenting. They just kind of go away and, and people, people uh, hire them back on. But what, what I love this is that it says here, verse 21, I charge you under the name of God in Christ Jesus with his angels to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in spirit of partiality. And it says, do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily. <laughs> and so it's mm -hmm. like, a, by the way, don't have your own timeline. Okay, just because the the God hasn't reached out about your pastoral hire in a week doesn't mean he's not working. But the last thing you need to do for the sake of your members in your church, whoever's doing the hiring, don't just rush into that decision. I mean, it's right there in Scripture. And I'll just say this, and I'll let you guys respond, uh, whatever, is that for me, 
uh, I, I talk about this end of Ecclesiastes 12 talks about the idea that you can gain so much knowledge through books, but the idea that there's so many writing of books, there are so many things on, on the church and how to be a good leader, how to be a good man, all these things. And it's like, the more I read those things, the less time I'm putting into the Bible and the Bible's already taught this. How wise can a book written by a human be? How wise can it be aside from the Bible? And if it is wise, I guarantee you can find it in the 66 books of scripture. I'm not belittling the writing of books. I guess I just wish I'd rather know these books, 66 books, more than anything before I try to bring in something else. And I truly believe the way we do ministry, how we how we obfuscate it, we don't talk about it, we don't teach all of it. And certain books will give you a glimpse of ministry. James and I, you've, you and I talked about this. They give you a nice glimpse of what ministry can be, but it's, it doesn't give you the whole context because the book's not taking you to 1 Timothy. It's not taking you to Titus. It's not taking you to 1 Corinthians 5. It's not going back to the Old Testament and looking at the, the law, 613 laws of Moses, which beautifully fold into the New Testament with Jesus. And yet, it, sorry, this is a huge rant, guys, but like it's right there and we're not practicing it. There is nuance, of course. There are ways of doing it, but this is now the message at us. The mirror's now being turned back to us saying, here's what we expect of you leaders. And it's like, and then we, we don't listen to it. We don't read it. We don't preach from it. And then we fall victim to it. And then we're surprised. And I mean, what, what do you, what do you guys think? Am I way off base here? Or are we, what do, what do you think? Adam, I'll let Adam go first. Uh, I think I going back to the kind of the Titus thing and, you know, the, the, the pastors, of the big churches and stuff like that. I see, I, I, I'm I'm not gonna try and make a proclamation on on whether or not that's you know directly applicable um, as sure. far as the, the the practice of of openly you know rebuking and stuff like that. I, I do think it would definitely may it, it might wage war possibly on kind of the celebrity pastor thing. I guess I don't know. It's it's incredible to me how how loyal people become to figures like that um like and i think it goes back to our desire for a king um oh, yes. like we we oh, we yes. want a king we don't want a savior or like we 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 want yeah. we want a we want an earthly king we don't want a heavenly king um and we're we're fine accepting god as our savior but not as our lord um and, thank you <laughs> but um i i see a couple of different camps in this this like scandal thing like you know you you have those larger than life pastors that you've you find out surprise surprise they've messed up and fallen from grace and all this different stuff it just i hear it and i'm not even surprised anymore which is sad but um but then you also have you have the average pastor right you have the average pastor who you know again i i would agree that you know you 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 don't necessarily develop a whole cloth, those proclivities or whatever, when you, when you enter the pastorate, you, you, you kind of bring some of that in from maybe your past or whatever. But I also believe that you are, you are pastors are so vulnerable both from like, if they're not, if they're not taking care of themselves well, and if they're not taken care of well, um, um, I, you know, we, uh, um, Ooh, sorry. Emily was texting me about things that I forgot to bring in from the car um, <laughs> that are, there's definitely refrigerated and frozen things in there. Um, so there you go. 
Anyway, we move on. <laughs> well, I, I, th- um, I think you're 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 talking you're talking about something that, that's it's really great here. here well, so I, yeah, I'll let you finish. Just so like yeah, there, there's the smaller pastor who like I think I think you know we 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 talk about uh, measures of accountability and we talk mm-hmm. about this that and the other to make sure that our 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 leaders are above reproach. But like, what about like friendship, like? I feel like loneliness will drive a pastor to, to, to despair or self-destruction or burnout. And, you know, how, how about giving the pastor the ability to be in a small group where they don't have to be a pastor, but an equal participant? Um, you know, how about a board member who texts the pastor every so often or asks how your walk is and prays with you and for you? Um, you know, or, or how about, you know, reevaluating the measurements of our success so pastors don't crumple under the weight of the ABCs of empire, as I've heard it called, which is attendance, buildings, and cash. Um, you know, these are the kind of the measures that we place on a pastor. And it's like, all right, you got you to gotta succeed in these areas or else you're a failure. And, you know, I, and I, I'm, I'm thinking of these things and influenced by these things because I've I've been listening to the pastor's table with another podcast with uh, Dr. Quanstrom and Dr. Uh, uh, not Dr. But Pastor Tara Beth Leach. Uh, and they, they talk quite a bit about those things and just kind of the pressures um, um, that, that pastors are under. So I think that there's, um, there's definitely, you know, the, the, the more nefarious players that, that, you know, and, and we figure out that they've failed, but then there's also the average pastor that just like, He's just struggling, man. <laughs> like just because mm-hmm. pastoring is hard. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I'd I don't agree know with how that. Much that contributes, but it, well, it certainly would would contribute. I, either way, the the outcome of your behavior is still expected to be the same. Uh, James, I'll let I'll let you go. I'm curious what you have. Do you have anything to add here? Kind of like the scripture I was reading, um, or and what Adam was talking about. Yeah, of course. Again, that's why I said there is nuance. Of course. Yeah, I um I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, with what Adam's saying, as a matter of fact, um, I've I've been thinking for some time about um, uh, starting a, a podcast of my own. I, I co-host one, and I and I've been thinking about starting one of my own. And the thing I keep coming back to is um, a podcast geared for the every pastor. You know, <laughs> like the pastors of like like just churches that are not ten to fifty thousand people. Um, with yeah. like their own like production companies and marketing companies and all of that, like wrapped up underneath the umbrella of the church and all of that kind of stuff. Like, because when I go seek um, perspective and information and, and um, different perspectives on, or, or different ways to think about or um, process what scripture says ab- about church and leadership and ministry and discipleship, it they're like what makes a podcast great is that they have these world or at least nationally known um or continentally known pastors and i'm like yeah but what about the guy who's pastoring a church of 80 right um in a town of 4000 like that's an amazing success let's talk to that guy or what about the pastor in a town of 100,000 who's pastoring a church of 12 and, and what's really exactly. difficult Love about it. that? Like, let's talk to that guy. Yeah. And, and these pressures, nickels and noses is what is what I call it. That's just attendance and budgets. It's not even thinking about facilities. Um, I, I committed to entering my new assignment without this emphasis and pressure on nickels and noses. 
And um, there's none coming from my congregation. Frankly, they would be perfectly content if we didn't grow by a person, um, which is not biblical at all. <laughs> and, and so like I'm putting all of this pressure on myself. Um, we're not reaching new, new people. We're not having visitors. Like my people aren't inviting other people to church. And how can I get them to do that? But it's not because if we're not growing by 5% of our average weekend attendance a year, then we're not successful. Um, and so, uh, so I just, just in my words saying yes and amen to everything that Adam said, um, understanding that like we are held to a higher standard to whom much is given much is required in, in, uh, the role of pastor is, is very much, um, it's a super important role. And, um, as is the role of, of minister, which is the responsibility of everybody who's a Christian. Um, but, but when you are the shepherd of the whole flock, um, you're held to a higher standard and scripture tells us that. And so, um, Jesus said, count the cost, you know, what, what builder just like jumps into the building project without first figuring out how much it's going to cost to build the house. Um, and, and what general sends his troops into battle without first assessing the threat. Um, that's, that's all part of it, right? So if you're going to be a pastor, take I don't think we do this enough in our culture. I think we rush people through ministry programs because boomers are retiring and churches are going to be empty. And so um, we need to we need to encourage future pastors to take a step back and say, um, what is this going to cost me? I'm mentoring. Yes, uh, yes, um, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I'm mentoring a 19-year-old kid, um, one of five teenagers in my church um who's who's pursuing a call to well he's he's contemplating a call to ministry and so i've i've started him on the on the in the church in the nazarene you guys know the course of study journey for people who don't it's basically like a essentially like a certification program uh prepper educational program uh to prepare you to be a pastor and so he's going to go through a few courses and and allow that to speak allow god to speak to him through that about yes vocational ministry or no. And I'm walking him through the process. He's literally one week into the, into this course of study. And, um, we talk after church for an hour or two, most Sundays. And, um, uh, this last Sunday, uh, I was like, well, here's my word for you, man. Leadership is lonely. Um, so Adam, when you were talking about that, it, friendships and people you can open up to and be honest with and, who pour into you and check in with you to see how you're doing. And Hey, I'm praying for you today. Um, I have never had too much of that and I've rarely had enough of it. Um, especially since I became a pastor And and so like this 19 year old kid who is just starting to think about being a pastor, I was like right out of the gate. We've had like five of these conversations. I'm going to tell you right now, leadership is lonely, Like, get ready for that. Um, He's like, well, why? Because in his mind, it's like the pastor's everybody's best friend. <laughs> no, dude, that's just that's just yeah. not how it is. And so, um, so much truth, so much truth to that. And last last thing in this, part of what makes it lonely is the burden because you love the bride of Christ, because you love the the disciples, because you love the lost the burden of that higher responsibility, it's a heavy mantle. Like you put that thing on and it just makes you hunch over sometimes under the weight. Um, 
but that's a reverent weight. It's a beautiful weight. Um, it's yeah. an honor, but it's, but it's hard and it gets lonely because people don't understand and you can't share that with just anybody. That both of you guys, this is exactly what I wanted you on this, this podcast, like so well said, um, that the type of burden that you're talking about, I feel it at funerals, you know, not having a significant other, like you gentlemen praying for, for a wife, a really would love one. Like it is the long trips down South for me to go to a funeral. Um, those are when I feel it the most. It's also when I feel closest to God, when I'm meeting family for a first time and I'm able to mourn with them. Uh, it is, it's truly a privilege. It's not something I, it is never something I'd understand if I wasn't a pastor. And, it, and that's just, again, the, the, the inherent nature of our job. I, I think of when I, when I talk about this, if you just want to know my, my thoughts on it, read John chapter 10, John chapter 10 summarizes everything. Uh, the beautiful thing about Jesus again is the best leader is the best man, whatever, whatever podcast you or YouTube short, you know, TikTok video you ever see about, you know, here's what it means to be a man, or here's how you, here's how men get, get women, or here's, here's how, uh, here's how men in a society kick back. No, 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 no. Read John chapter 10. Jesus was a, was a leader who always did what he commanded his followers to do. That's it. That's all he did. He walked the walk. He talked to talk. It's the, it's a tale oldest time. And he said, I lay my life down for the sheep. He went to the cross. And so our model as, as shepherds is Jesus and they killed him. So my message to people, you know, along with it's lonely is you have to be willing to lay down your life. And if you, if you start whimpering at the sign of trouble, my question is, is that, yeah, they're wolves. It's, it's said right there in scripture. What were you expecting? Uh, you, you don't get a cookie for being a pastor. Uh, that that's not the, that is not the goal. And it, it, so it's, it's a big motive check. It is a huge motive check. Why do you want to be a pastor? And I have to say, and the reason why I wasn't one, the reason why I wanted to get out as I love speaking in front of people, because I, I think I like to think I have some good things to say. And that was me at, in 18 years old. And guess what? I was terrible at it. I was horrendous at it. I was, I was going for it for the wrong reasons. And God stripped me of that immediately. The other thing I think of when it comes to this is the gentleman, This I'm not making any moral judgments about this case. I'm, I'm talking about the motive of the gentleman. The Canadian pa pastor, I can't remember what province he was from, when they came to shut down his church because he was meeting for worship. And he said, no, we are going to worship here. You don't attack them, you attack me. And they did. They threw him in a maximum security prison. And my question to anyone out there going to church is that, if you read John chapter 10 and you read a story like that guy saying, you are not going to touch these people. I am the leader here. You're going to come after me. Do you have a shepherd in your church? That's essentially, are you willing, are we as, as gentlemen willing to do that for our youth who are just being devastated by social media, pornography, uh, the hookup culture, everything, and as well as our fellow congregants, no matter how old they are, are we willing to lay down our lives for them without being, a, without trying to uh, lift ourselves up going, oh, look how great of a martyr I am, but saying I'm doing this for the sake of Jesus to protect the flock. That's essentially what the, what the Bible says. And because of that, then because of that high charge, if regardless of whether you feel lonely, regardless of whether or not you feel tempted, you are still subject to these responsibilities. And here's the accountability that you need. And here's the weirdest thing too. It seems as if, you know, on the bigger, and the reason why I attack the bigger church is because they have so much influence out there. They have so much influence that that's a lot of people's first and only impression of the church. And I'm primarily concerned with the image of the bride. Then, yeah, I want to want to say like in these small, like I love small churches. Like that's where, that's where the 
gosh darn like real ministry is happening. I I truly believe in this country. It's what Adam you share with me that you talk with your youth group about. It's it's James telling me about the stories about the transition to your leadership and who you're talking to, how you're getting to know people, how you navigate the situations that started long before you you came in there that are now spilling over into your your tenure. That's real ministry. That's real done in their approachable real men and women. So uh, I say I say all that because I I want to see the spirit of God represented truly, and I see it more in the small church. So my message is twofold. I want to hold more people accountable, but I, um, but I also want to call attention to the small pastor who's just you know sometimes at the end of the rope and they're still going. Um, and the last point I'll say before I ask you guys a different question is I I really truly believe this too that regardless of what church you go to, if you're on a board somewhere listening, if you are somewhere and your church is large, your pastor, part of that care needs more accountability. Whether it's mandating that if they go on a trip, their wives have to go with them, or you send an elder with them, or what have you, that that they don't have a phone that's not monitored, something like it demands more accountability. And that accountability is all for love of not just the pastor, but so the pastor can protect the flock. How we allow men and women to get to the ranks and uh, and levels of leadership, whether that's in a denomination at like a district level, uh, uh, an administrative level, or a pastorate, and there's less accountability because we expect more of them, like that's just an open target. That's the limping gazelle that you're asking the cheetah to go catch. Like the cheetah, like what are you talking about? This is an afternoon walk for me to catch that thing. Like that's that's almost it's almost a cheat mode in a video game. Of course Satan's gonna devour them because we throw them right to the wolves. I I, I don't I don't I don't understand why we do that. Uh it's hubris. It's it's our own hubris from time to time. Um I and this is this is a terrible segue, but actually a good transition hopefully because this what we're talking about, this is this is a tale as old as time. Um, I shared a pamphlet. I didn't share it with you, Pastor James, but I'd love to read, I'd love to get you a copy next time I see you. It's the best commencement address I've ever heard or seen. It happened um at the campus of Hillsdale College class, graduating class of 2023 last year. Out of that speech came a quote from Frederick Douglass. And uh, basically what, what it says, uh, I've said in 1863, Frederick Douglass spoke at Hillsdale College shortly after the Emancipation Proclamation was signed. And he gave a lecture entitled Popular Error and Unpopular Truth. He stated, quote, there is no such thing as new truth. Error might be old or new, but the truth is as old as the universe. Uh, basically, he's saying, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. And we're, we're basically seeing old errors. It's, it's the same old behavior. It's the same old sin. And I'm just curious, like the idea of this kind of gentleman with this, this type of background speaking at, you know, a, a campus nearby to, to James and I here in Michigan, but just kind of re rephrasing this idea that there's no such thing um, as, as error as new errors. It's all the, it's all the same behavior. We're, we're talking about detecting this behavior, holding each other accountable, do you, do you think that just kind of helps us understand, like, we, we can look for the same pattern, same symptoms in our own lives, as well as our friends and family, or look at the world saying, yeah, when they say this phrase, that's just this phrase that's been said for generations now. Like, um, and, and so I'm, I'm curious what you guys think of just about that quote, about the context that we're in. I It makes me think of uh, Jesus before Pilate, uh, where... Um, the response they're having their conversation and and 
pilot goes, what is truth? <laughs> yeah. Like I, I read that not that long ago and I was like, why am I getting all wrapped up emotionally, all frustrated about like truth has become so subjective that it's an illusion anymore um like the difference between fact and opinion has evaporated i remember learning that in like second grade and i'm like i don't know can you even teach kids that anymore um <clears throat> and getting all wound up about it and you know what two thousand years ago recorded right in scripture like what is truth um so you know you sent that in in preparation for this conversation and i was like uh, and you presented it like you just did like it's essentially a paraphrase of nothing new under the sun and i went yeah the tracks. And that was about all I, that was yeah. it. I'm like, all right. There's well, yeah. so many, there's so many phrases and, and thoughts and trends and behaviors and social patterns that we experience now. And our parents are like, oh yeah, it was just like that when I was a kid. Um, and it, they're in scripture, uh, like exactly. a tale, a tale as old as humanity. Um, and it just looks different because it presents itself in accordance with the culture um, mm -hmm. and so people are like, man, what's happening to the world today? It's the same thing that's been happening since the, since the garden, um, like the first garden, since the apple or mm -hmm. whatever the fruit was, you know? Um, and, uh, I'm not trying to blame the world's problems on, uh, the company apple. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, it just presents itself differently according to, uh, what's happening in the world and, and, it feels worse than it used to, but that's just all a matter of perspective. Yeah. But yeah, depending on when you live, where you live, how you live. Adam, what you yeah. got, man? It is, it's, I was just gonna say, it's so funny because at this, there's kind of like this dialogue of, or this, this weird thing of like, man, like what's happening to the world today. But then there's also this other camp that says like, man, like look at the world today, you know, and there, there's definitely, there's, like, I, I find it so funny how, and, and both of them being like equally useless, I guess. Like, you know, obviously the oh, man, what's happening to the world today? Eh, same thing that's that's always been. Same thing that's always been. But like, man, look at the world today. Almost pointing to this, that, and the other as some sign of like progress. Like there, you know, we 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 granted you know like the the access to information has definitely opened up a lot of doors i'm not denying that things have advanced quote unquote but like you know we we like one thing that i was thinking of you know again in, in preparation like you know we've we've had this this kind of technological renaissance resulting in information access content creation medical advancement new technology but no new wisdom Right. Like we, we think we've stumbled across something new. We millennials think they're so awesome because we talk about our mental health more, but like, <laughs> like I guarantee you there's been a generation before us that like takes, has, has talked about like how they feel, you know? <laughs> and it's just like, like we're, I don't know. Like we're, we're not the first generation to deal with wounds given to us by a previous generation. We're not, we're, mm -hmm. you know, what I'm, what I'm like, we haven't found any new truth, you know, and, and, and right. Yeah. Cause it's as old as the universe It's like, it's, it's the, it, it is from the very beginning. 
right? Right. But yeah, we, we encourage people to kind of pursue their own truth as like this newfound truth. It's like, oh, like the new truth is to pursue your own truth. But like all we're doing in that is just we're, we're encouraging people to follow their own fickle and restless hearts, which results in a downward spiral that we've seen literally since the beginning of time. And it leads oh, to yeah. destruction and emptiness. It's like Romans one. Just go read Romans one and you'll, you'll, right. you'll see today's. <laughs> right. So, I mean, that, those were my only thoughts, like, you know, like thinking about this whole thing. It's like, yeah. But this the only, okay, the boomer. Only, yeah, it's right. <laughs> That's right. Be so based. That's such a base take, Adam. Um, you know, like this. This truly does uh, connect well because uh, one of my favorite, my favorite book of the Bible is Ecclesiastes, and it's Ecclesiastes twelve. It's the end of the books, written by Solomon, attributed to Solomon. He's the whole. Everything is meaningless. You know, meaningless. Everything's meaningless. And he ends the whole book by just. I can just picture him if he's like a lecturer. You know, because he was known how he was the most wise king of ever because he asked wisdom from God. And I just, he, I can just picture him. Like in a lecture hall, like if you close your eyes, you know, picture your favorite professor. He's trying to communicate something after somebody asked a really good question, like what's the meaning to life? And, and the guy, he's, he's, he's going on this diatribe and he just ends it by going, you know what? You know what? Forget everything I said. Here's what you need to do. Um, fear God, keep his commandments for God will bring into a judgment, every act, whether it's hidden or, 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 or whether it's hidden, good or evil. That That's it. And it's like, it's, it's like you can all the scripture right there. Fear God. Keep his commandments. And what Proverbs tells us is that in Ecclesiastes 2, which were written by Solomon, that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So if you fear God, you keep his commandments, that's the chief end of man. Good night. Uh, like it's that simple. And and so there's there's the, the profundity of scripture in its simplicity is probably what makes it so awesome. It's it's not writing a dissertation on something and then giving you an experimental group and a control group. It's not giving you, well, here's how, here's what's going to happen to your brain when this it's not, no, it's so simple. Fear God, keep his commandments. Well, then what are his commandments? Oh yeah. Well, it's convenient. They're also listed in here. You just have to read them. Uh, it's so simple. And I'm wondering, is it our sin nature that likes to complicate things? Because I'm wondering if the, the, the simplicity of scripture, if we just listened to it and read it, would make it easily more identifiable, these new patterns of behavior that aren't really new. Like if we knew the Bible as well, we knew that, it's like, oh, yeah, that that new song that people sing that they love or that new slogan to life, that movie that hit such a a, a tone with our culture that started this new arts movement or this new phil, phil, life philosophy yeah that's all found in you know that's all found in romans chapter two like just because i know it. it's like guess what i'm not you don't I'm, I'm fearing god that's that's simple and i can find that wisdom i can find that discernment where you know the more i'm in scripture the more i can easily identify hey is that teaching biblical or is that a little more gnostic hey is that is that someone quoting jesus because that didn't sound like jesus uh nope they're oh they're meshing a couple things they're like oh it's so tired. I'm so tired of hearing this same old thing. Like, listen, I've been alive for X amount of years. Then we start to sound old like this. Heard this before growing up. You know, like I was telling Adam before you came on, James, that YOLO was our high school word. You only live once. And it's and that and that will come back in a new form. Some some person tripped out on, you know, DMT or something will come up with an acronym. will go, you know, man, I got this new saying. And then everyone will say it on TikTok. Like it's nothing new. But if we're not if we're not captured by the simplicity and the profundity of scripture, I think we miss it. Where, where, where's the discernment? So I'm, I'm curious, like, do you think, 
why, why do we seem to miss these, these simple truths that are right there, right there in our Bibles that, 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 that are, that's free. It's free access. You can, anyone can go and get a Bible from a church for free. I, you know, I was thinking about this the other day and um, benefit of the doubt, just giving the benefit of the doubt, um, because I have a tendency to overcomplicate things. Um, and I've been learning the last two years uh, to to really hold loosely to all of my complicated ideas and, and just pursue the simplicity of um, God's design you know, for all of us in, in the gospel and all of that, I think for, for, for those of us within the church, for the body of, of believers in Jesus Christ all over the world, I think, um, maybe we see how profound it is. Um, we, we see that we worship a God who is, who makes himself known personally to us, but who is at the same time unknowable. Um, who, who is beyond our comprehension yet fills us with knowledge, you know, like, and we think there've got to be layers and layers and layers and layers and layers. And therefore whatever we do to serve him has to have layers and layers and layers and layers. And we just yeah. tend to overcomplicate it because God is, is just beyond comprehension. Um, and, you know, the more I, the more I have thought about this, over the last couple of years, and particularly recently, the more I realized, I think this is why I decided not to pursue a doctorate. I had always, even when I was still a teacher, I was like, oh, I'll get a doctorate someday. I love to learn. I'll keep going to school. Um, and and when I went through seminary, like seminary is a 76, well, and Master of Divinity is a 76 credit um, graduate degree program in overcomplicating the simplicity <laughs> of the beauty of God. Um, and sitting in commencement, I realized, oh, I don't no. want to do this. I don't want to do this anymore. In commencement? Like, you realize this? Yeah. Yeah. You I was, I was literally before. graduating. I was getting ready to walk across the stage and I was like, no doctorate for me. I'm done. Like oh. I am all done. Yeah, I've, I've um, never heard him say this, Adam. I've known him for, you know, yeah. oh my gosh. Yeah. So, um, so I have, I've devoted so much of my energy over the last couple of years to uncomplicating it. Um, and, and saying to people, yeah, it really is this simple. It's not easy. Don't, don't confuse or combine those oh, things. No, they're very it's, different. It's, it's, it's difficult. It's challenging. It's countercultural, which is part of what makes it difficult and challenging. And I realize those are just synonyms, but whatever. Um, and, and, and so like, but it's simple. Um, and in its simplicity, it's empowering and it's beautiful. Um, and it's revelatory. It's, I mean, the fact that children, children are smart. They, they have a discerning ear about them and they trusted Jesus and having faith like a child's not a stupid faith. It's not an uninformed faith. It's being able to trust and say, you know, when, when a, when a kid, if you're, if you're involved in the kid's life and they run up to you and they, I mean, I have the privilege of having a, of a little five-year-old that screams my name every time she sees me and she comes over and hugs me. It's one of the most beautiful thing. And I'm so envious of you gentlemen who can, who have experienced it and are, again, can experience that as fathers. And it's like that, that kid's not doing that because they're uninformed about their relationship to me or that they're stupid. They have an experience and that there is trust there. If the kids can get it. We can too, but yes, it is an arduous journey. It's that it is, it is that, um, 
some it's not paradoxical nature it's the it's a double-edged sword of what scripture does and, and i beautifully said james well, what about you have you ever been captured by the pro yeah, the yet profound and yet simple nature of scripture adam like and do we we tend to like com like really complicate things yeah i you know i um it's, it's, you know you're talking about the the just really briefly you're talking about the you know just the faith of a child and, and these things i just recently saw on facebook one of the the nazarene pages that i follow posted this um there was a sunday school teacher who asked a class of five-year-olds how god speaks to us thinking more about kind of like the modes in which that he speaks to us or the mediums i guess or the the whatever and it's like, how does God speak to us? And this little five-year-old girl said, always kindly. Mm. Like, mm. dear Jesus, <laughs> the amount of times that I have overcomplicated the Lord's intent or the Lord's tone or the Lord's whatever in speaking to me, just not even realizing that like, like I am, I am his child. He, and, and, and he is my father and he always speaks kindly. Mm. always kindly um man man i don't know i just saw that story um and yeah i it's so funny you know james you were talking about the you know the the 76 hours and overcomplicating and stuff like that you know one of the things that frustrated me so much about grad you know transitioning from college education to a ministry context first of all i was grateful to be able to apply my knowledge to a context because i was waiting for that so i didn't know what to do with all these books that said hey there, here's a theory you need to apply it to your context great awesome thank you i was i was told and i didn't like it but i found it to be true i think is that you need to throw out half the book knowledge that you received and you need to dive into that context you need to get you need to get to know your people and um and and minister to them and i and i think that you know i think i think sometimes the complexities of our education can kind of separate us from our people in that we try and overcomplicate it for them like you know especially like new christians like i i don't have a ton of experience working with like brand new christians but like certainly teens you know who are who need to hear things simply and and understand things and i for a especially in the first few years of ministry, I'm sure I still do it often, but like, like my students need something simple and I'm, I'm way up here, you know, not to, yeah. not from the standpoint of like, I know so much like, but it's the standpoint of like, like, I just, I don't know how to simplify it anymore because I, everything is so complicated to me. And like, you're, you're talking about your relentless pursuit of just like shedding the, the useless gray matter of like, this, this doesn't matter this doesn't matter this doesn't matter this doesn't matter <laughs> here is the simple truth and like my students need that and like i need to you know me just recognizing in myself like i need to do that i need to simplify it and even even today um like you know and the things i was just telling michael before we got on that i'm just kind of like wrestling with a lot of concepts right now and emily this we i was having a conversation with emily and she's like okay but does it matter though and I'm like, I mean, kind of, because it uh, it affects my, my it affects my orthopraxy. It affects how I do things. But in the in the end, like, it doesn't. And then, uh, just just a, a 
I know that's kind of an on, out of context quote. Now we were talking about, um, oh shoot, what were we talking about earlier? Anyway, I just, <laughs> um, I, I texted, I, I said this, and then I texted my senior pastor Sam, uh, just like, hey, this is for explaining later. But here's here's the quote. Uh, I'm just sitting here agonizing over the salvation of our people. Is that work? <laughs> can, I, can I log those hours? <laughs> Oh man. So that, that tied in somehow to something we were talking about earlier. I can't remember what it was, but just like over, over complication galore. And I, I, I overthink everything anyway, um, which is not necessarily a badge of honor. It's just kind of a, just my, yeah yeah i mean it, because, through, and that's but. not a that's not a bad motive either i mean it, it shows that you care um and yet at the same yeah. time we know that you know we, we can get after things and, you know guys and i understand we're, we're kind of at the end of our time here uh i i want to respect you guys i'll have i want to have you guys both on again i think you guys uh pair well with each other you bounce great ideas off uh the, the last question would basically be and this is something that i can leave with everybody so we're in a new year everyone's always focused on uh, for the least the first four days of the new year, uh, the new goals for yourself. And, and part of the things that I, I would ask one, if you're a congregant, a board member, somebody out there and you, you are close to your pastor, you can, you can, uh, reach out to them. I'd encourage you to do so just to let them know that you're thinking about them. Hopefully if, if, if you like them, I, I, I hope you like them. Um, and then for the pastors listening to, to you, Adam, to James and myself, uh, the last question was going to be, what are some areas of improvement that you need to see in yourself in order to be most effective for your people? So looking in the mirror saying, what's my home improvement? What's my self-improvement project? Not, not the self-love movement care, not the self-care that is so it's, that's narcissistic. I'm talking about like, I need to be better here so I can be better for other people. I will extend this as a rhetorical question to the rest of you listeners, whether you're a father, a mother, any sort of relation, uh, inside, outside the church, whatever that, what might look like, what do you need to work on so that you can be a better person for someone else, not for you, but for someone else, for the people in your charge. So if you're a father to your kids, to, to a husband, to your wife, to, um, to, if you're a child to your parents, even. So that's some things I want to uh, reach out and then, or at least throw it throw out there for you just to wrestle with. And for your, and for the people who love their pastor, just reach out to them, let them know, Hey, you love and appreciate what they do. Those messages as testified by Adam and James tonight, will will stick with you will stick with them for a very long time so gentlemen uh thank you for meeting here tonight i want to respect your time here as we get out here before the top of the hour i love you both and i would love 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 to have you both back on again so i hope you guys have a great evening